Okay. So we're in John 4, and it is the scripture that's just following what Herb taught on last week about Nicodemus. It is the story of the woman at the well, and I have a feeling that you all have heard this a lot. This is a very famous story from the scripture, but I want to spend a lot of time today kind of um, digging through maybe some of the misconceptions that you've gained in different environments that you've heard the story in. Uh, there's a lot of really awesome scholarship about this story, and I would love to work on that with you all today. So um, this is 42 verses. So I'm going to read, and then I'm going to call on somebody else to read the next one. So just be prepared to, to read loudly. All right, so we're in John 4, and it's 1 through 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples he baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Haley. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to, is saying to you, uh, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flock drink from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life, or gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Luke. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, please believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father either on this mountain or nor in Jerusalem. The worship that you will that you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jew, but the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is, God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Kim. Kim or Tim? Kim. Sorry. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Jeff. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more than comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you, and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Amen. That is a big story, and there is a lot in it, and we are only going to scratch the surface because I only have like 20 minutes. So, just saying. All right, so setting the scene here. There's so many like really cool nuggets about this story that I want to share with you. One of them being that this is the longest dialogue between Jesus and anyone in the New Testament at all. He doesn't have any longer conversation with Peter. He doesn't have any longer conversation with a Pharisee or a Pilate. This is the longest conversation. And it's with an unnamed Samaritan woman which is really profound, and we're going to spend some time talking about that later. Um, I think in the past I've heard a lot made much of the fact that the woman comes to the well at noon, so high noon, in the middle of the heat of the day, she must be hiding from someone because nobody's out at that time, right? Well, if we look at the Nicodemus story, which is the one that Herb taught last week in John 3, He's coming to Jesus in the dead of night. So honestly, there's just a contrast. Nicodemus, a person of status, who could easily come to Jesus during the light of day, is coming to him secretively at night. Whereas Jesus is approaching this woman during the daytime. So he's out in the open, interacting with a woman he should not be interacting with whatsoever. So... I think more than anything, it's a play on people and their ability to access Jesus and how are they doing that. And Jesus is like, 
I don't care who comes to me, wherever time they come to me, even if they're a person that is considered unclean, okay? All right, so um, some of it is interesting because Nicodemus really has a difficult time understanding. You know, he's talking about um, being born, born again, and Nicodemus is like, yeah, I'm going to crawl back into my mother's womb and come out again. Um, what? What are you talking about? Uh, so, but, and, you know, the woman at the well is also confused because Jesus is going on and talking about this living water, and she's like, yeah, I don't want to have to come back and draw water every day. If you can give me the uh, continuously refilling jar of water, I'm cool with that. I want that. <laughs> but I think she understands, finally, Jesus is talking about something more, especially when she hears him speak about her past in a way that someone might not know, especially a stranger who doesn't live in their town. Um, something else interesting about this scene, um, some of the commentators have called this well scene a type scene. So type scenes are things like what we would know, someone, you're watching a Western film, and somebody comes walking through doors, you know, the swinging saloon doors, you know there's gonna be a gunfight, like it's going to happen sooner or later, or some sort of massive fist fight, you know, people are flipping over and they're sliding down the bar and there's glasses breaking everywhere. We all know what we're talking about. So for the ancient hearers of this story, coming to a well is like a romantic scene. If it, there's a man and a woman at a well, they're gonna get married. So, and the fact that this is Jacob's well, where Jacob met Rachel, and they got married. Um, this is setting it up. Well, this sets up, though the readers know, or the hearers know, that Jesus is not going to marry the Samaritan woman. It's setting up a very high level of intimacy that he has with her. It, this, this, is, this is like big stuff. It's not Jesus's, it's Jesus showing his love for people who are outcasts. Like, it's, it's an intensive kind of love and sharing. All right, so moving on. We're going to have a little more info about the Samaritans. All right, so we hear about Samaritans all the time, the Good Samaritan story, the Samaritan woman at the well, um, and I think sometimes it just sort of rolls off our back. But uh, the Samaritans were mortal enemies of the Jews. They're cousins to the Jews. Uh, because they're people that are descended from that northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they, but they were people that intermarried with the Assyrians and other people that were not Jewish. And that was in opposition to God's law. Um, but they still worship Yahweh. They still use the Torah as their sacred text. Um, they have all of that in common with the Jews. But they believe that Mount Gerizim, which is a mountain in this region of Samaria, is the place where God should be worshipped. Whereas the Jews say, no, we need to worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. And so that puts them at odds with one another. Um, this is like Hatfields and McCoy's level kind of enmity. Um, people would, it, it's kind of interesting in the why I went da, 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 about Jesus going into Samaria. Um, that was the shortest path for him to get from one place to another. But the Jews, if they had to make that type of trip, would intentionally go a longer way to avoid going into Samaria. So Jesus, even by virtue of taking that route, was saying something. 
He's not avoiding the enemy. Um, in fact, he's engaging them. So you've got all these people that have intermarried with these non-Jewish people, but yet they are honoring God in the way that they know how. Um, and then you have a woman. All right. So women had a really dicey role at this time in the world. They were only protected when they were in marriage relationships or they were living in their father's household. If they ended up divorced or if their husband died, they were in a really difficult position. They couldn't hold any kind of um, honorable work. They could not get paid for their work. Um, they were essentially like property and would often become destitute and um, die early if they weren't in a protective marriage relationship. So this lady that Jesus is talking to has had five husbands. Um, I think in the past when I've heard teachings on this story, people will make a lot about this woman having five husbands, that she is some sort of wanton woman, that she's a prostitute, um, all this kind of thing. But more likely, since Jesus doesn't talk about it any more than just saying you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband, uh, she could have been divorced because she was unable to have children because that is a legal reason for divorce. Um, a man could just say, well, you're not useful to me because you can't produce an heir, so you are now no longer my wife. Um, her husbands could have died. You know, they're living in the era of Roman rule. There's a lot of fighting going on, a lot of skirmishes. They could have, her husbands could have been killed in battle. Um, and the man that she could be living with that's not her husband isn't necessarily having her as some sort of concubine, though that is possible. She could also just be living with the brother of one of her dead husbands because they had that as a rule. You know, you're taking on the, the wife of your dead brother as a, a way to support or to protect women in, their, in that culture. Or it could be a kinsman redeemer that's uh, taken her in, like uh, Boaz was to Ruth, if you're familiar with that story. So it could be a whole bunch of these things. But honestly, the point is that Jesus is approaching, he's the one who approached her at the well. She is alone. It's the middle of the day. She is the, the lowest rung of the social ladder. She is a woman, but even at that, she is a woman that is not married, and she does not have that kind of level of protection. Um, and she is a mortal enemy of Jesus as a Jew. This is not the person that you would expect Jesus to be interacting with. So when I was studying, I found this really cool chart that kind of compares the discussion between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. So Nicodemus is a male, so therefore he's respected and powerful. The Samaritan woman is female, so she's vulnerable, and she's often disregarded. So the status of Nicodemus is as a Pharisee. So he's at the highest rung of that Jewish um, kind of pecking order of people. He's, he's up there. Um, the Samaritan woman's status is that she's unmarried, so therefore she's got very low status. Um, Nicodemus was a Jewish insider. The woman was a Samaritan outsider. Nicodemus is named, and the Samaritan woman is unnamed. 
And some of the stuff I was reading said that Jesus has more intensive, more gracious, more loving interactions with people that remain unnamed in the scripture than he does with people that are named. Uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, like I said, and the Samaritan woman was approached by Jesus in the daytime. Um, they both misunderstand Jesus initially because the man talks in riddles and it's very confusing to everyone, including us to this day. Uh, Nicodemus isn't really engaging in a sincere dialogue with Jesus, but the Samaritan woman really wants to understand and to know who this guy is that knows so much about her. Um, so Nicodemus's response is an ambiguous faith and kind of a private demonstration of faith. So he's keeping it to himself. He's not sharing. Whereas the Samaritan woman immediately goes to her town and tells people about Jesus and the conversation they had. And they come to Jesus and demand that he stay with them so they can learn more. And then they become believers as well. Um, a very different kind of result of the conversation. So you've got this discussion between Jesus and the woman. So you're, you're moving from misunderstanding to really deep awareness that Jesus is the Messiah, which is really cool. Because you've got the Samaritans who also believe the Torah. They believe that there is a Messiah that's coming, that God has promised them um, that there would be a Redeemer. And I think that's kind of interesting because there's such a tension between the Jews and the Samaritans that they can still hold that same kind of belief for a rescuer. But again, in this conversation, Jesus refers to places of worship. He's getting right to the core of the tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. He's not shying away from that tension. He's naming it. But he's also saying, just like he did in the temple when he's turning over the tables, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that he is now going to be the place of worship. Worship is going to be a different thing than it was. It's not going to be about where you come to God. It's about who God is. It's revolutionary, but he's repeating the same things over and over and over again as he's teaching. It's not about a location. It's about a relationship. And Jesus, in this conversation, is welcoming that Samaritan woman into relationship with him and experiencing that living water that never goes dry. That relationship doesn't end. It doesn't come to an end of a season where you're you know, sacrificing, and then you have to sacrifice again a year later in order to experience um, the, the restoration or the reconciliation of relationship with God. It's a continuous experience. And so her response was really different. You know, she, she is not just going, okay, I need to think about this for a while, like Nicodemus did, was like pondering it, understanding that maybe this is, maybe you are who you say you are, maybe you are the Messiah. I'm going to keep it to myself because I will lose my authority if I say that you are. Nicodemus has a lot to lose, but the woman at the well has much to gain. And even though she's at this really low status, even though she's, she's got a lot of challenges because of her experiences in her life, she is so impassioned to go and tell other people in her town about this man that she met. She doesn't care about what they think about her. 
she doesn't have any kind of fear because this guy knows who she is and he is not afraid to talk to her and to love her she is seen and known like how many times when like we are seen and known in relationship like thinking about just your own deep relationships that you might have with a spouse or a significant other or a parent so where you are deeply known doesn't that give you the freedom to be something more and so Jesus deeply knew her and let her know that and it allowed her to be more she was more than her label she was more than this multiple husband lady who doesn't have any kind of support who's just doing what she can to make it all work. She wasn't just a Samaritan. She wasn't just a woman. She was known and loved by God. And as a result, something came out in her. She was one of the first evangelists in the scripture. She came from nothing to be everything. Jesus needed her witness. He needed her to speak about him. There's other times in the scripture where Jesus is like, don't tell anybody, my time has not yet come. But he never said that to her because he wanted the Samaritans to hear the truth of what it means to be loved and to be restored in relationship with God when they have been cast off because of choices that were made by their ancestors. Jesus is telling us that our story doesn't end with what people have made decisions about a long time ago or the people that are in our lives that made decisions on our behalf that put us in a negative position. He is telling us that we are known and loved. And because of that, we can be witnesses to the world about how you can be known and loved. What I think is interesting about the end of her story is that she went and shared her story with others, but it wasn't just her testimony that changed the hearts of others that came to speak to Jesus. It was their own experience of Christ. So we can't be the catalyst for other people to know Christ in the real sense. Like We can't change other people's hearts. It has to be their experience of Christ that changes their hearts. But we can lead them to a place to where they are open to hear about the love that Christ shares with us. I think that is that her story is an amazing thing. And I think if we spend more time hearing what God is saying to us through that story, that it can really encourage us to just be a witness, to tell our story. Like we did last summer, we talked about our stories and how our stories can put other people in a position to listen to what Christ has to say about their own life. So where is this story working on you? We've got like five minutes to talk about it, but there's so much here, and I would love to hear what is landing with you today. Yes, Tim. In verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went back to town. 
and she told the people. So like, she was in the middle of doing something and completely stopped what she was doing to go complain. Yeah, God can arrest our our uh, agendas when we let Him. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, that is but weird. He <laughs> said that they would, they would reference this book or this chapter and the part where the woman well says, well, we don't associate you. You know, they close the book, but there you go, there's the blessing. <laughs> you know. But he said he became a chaplain because he wanted to get promoted. It had nothing to do with conviction. And because of that, he had to read the whole story. And he realized that here's Jesus reaching out to somebody who of a different culture and, and, and seeing, seeing her as an equal, you know, and interacting with her as an equal, and that got about at that point. That's a really great story. Thanks for sharing that, John. That's awesome. I guess kind of similar to what John was saying, the thing that I think stands out to me was that this was a people that was considered like if you were a devout Jew, then this was your enemy. So it makes me think about, well, and you know, like we're Christian, but we also have a very much a, an American Christian culture that we are in the middle of that because we're grown up in it, it's sometimes difficult to tell well, what's the actual faith and what's the effect of just the culture that we're in that we mistake for being the faith. Mm -hmm. So who is it that we as you know, the American uh, Protestant church that we look at and we say, oh, they're the enemies of the faith when really they're not and God's you know, working through them as well. Yeah. And just maybe we shouldn't be so certain of how right we are sometimes, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing, especially in this season that we are in as a country, where we're re really more deeply re-examining some of those divisions. Um, and I think seeing the church's brokenness in that. Cindy. Shirley, did you have something?
part of the biggest thing that one of the biggest changes that had happened to me when I came back to the board was that I said never again will let a man come between us because I knew that no matter what, if I was expecting a man to meet all these needs and to fill me and to like, it, no one can do that. And in marriage, I mean, people probably feel like. Well, okay, well, you sealed the deal now. I mean, okay, you need to think that when you're, you know, dating, like, you know, okay, so don't let your heart get broken over and over. Okay, fine. But, you know, hey, well, this is a Christian man. He's good. And the thing is, I think is marriage is the hardest thing ever because it's daily. You know, and it's a daily thing of having to be humble and serve and to love and to respect and to do these things. And, and no matter what they do. And so. There's a lot of give and take. Yes, that's right. That's right. And so, but to remember, to, I think, um, just as you were saying, I love the line you were talking about how it's, um, to how we can be something more when we know that we are deeply loved and known. And I think that that's part of it to be able to love a spouse for me to be able to say, I know all, I know these things, I love you, I, I want the best for you, I want this thing for you, because you know what, take a breather. I'm not expecting you to do do it all right, you know, and to, but to, to be at a point where, you know, it's kind of like she was the lowest of the low of the low, he went to her to talk, yeah. he wasn't like, you know, anything to mm-hmm. getting to him, but it was a, he sought her out, and so it's kind of like a, to know that he can deeply know us, can deeply know us individually, deeply know us just as women, I mean, obviously men, clearly, but, um, but he can know us in our deepest heart's desires, mm-hmm. and um, he can he can fill those needs. He really can, mm-hmm. and it is a love story. It is a love thing. That's awesome. Well, we can continue this discussion over lunch, but first we will have a meal with Christ. Um, so. The night before he was betrayed, Jesus came to the table with his disciples. And he stopped the meal, and he took a piece of bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body that's given for you. And they were confused, as they always were, just like we can be. But this is Jesus' body that's been given for us in love and in sacrifice so that we can be more than what we are. And then he took the cup and said, this is my blood that is shed for you. And they were confused again because you're not bleeding, Jesus. What's happening? What are you trying to say to us? And he just fed them and gave them a drink, knowing that they didn't understand what he had to say, but that this meal was the beginning of something bigger. And I don't know where you are in your life with Christ today, whether you know him or you used to know him and you're trying to figure this the whole thing out or you're not even sure where you are, but Jesus welcomes you to come to this table to eat and to drink because he loves you and it is a love story that you're in and he wants you to be released to become whoever he calls you to be in the bigness of God's kingdom because there is beauty and life to be had for all. So come and eat and drink and know that this is living water for all of us.
ਵਿਖੇ ਨਹੀਂ 